0: This is 16.9 Projects, I'm Michael Tutton. I'm insatiably be curious and excited about finding great work done in digital signage and visual communications. This podcast is designed to dig into some of those projects, find out what they're all about and how they came together. That might be a big experiential job, a massive video wall, projection mapping, or a cool one-to-one interactive project. Each episode will get into the thinking behind the project and how it came together by talking to the people responsible. Just like the Mothership Podcast 16.9, this one's available online, or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or using your favorite podcast listening app. I'm grateful and excited to announce that the podcast now has a sponsor thanks to Mahler Digital Signage. That's right, 16.9 Projects is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Put your digital signage network in expert hands. This episode we're looking at Dubai's City Walk, a new outdoor retail shopping concept that Float 4, based in Montreal and New York, has brought to life. CityWalk incorporates over 100 million pixels of digital content spread across some 30 areas, making it one of the largest retail digital deployments in the world. This is architecture, technology and content design on a massive scale. The final product is a multimedia show that merges sound, a digital canopy, LED, video mapping and water screen projection into one experience. CityWalk is made up of three main interconnected zones, each one a major project on its own. The gateway, which is CityWalk's main entrance, has two 85-meter LED screens and a digital canopy covering the space and cool content. The show street is almost 100 meters long and connects the gateway to the Place du Lumiere. It includes ground projection that allows for an interactive experience, making it one of the largest interactive surfaces in the world. Finally, the Place de Lumier has an artificial pond that contains four hydraulic arms that emerge to create a projection screen made of water. The circular space has over 20 projectors and 100 lighting features working together to create a centerpiece for all of City Walk. I spoke with Alex Simonescu, co founder of Float 4, about entertainment, architecture, and advertising within the City Walk shopping experience. Thanks for joining the podcast, Alex. Could you explain what City Walk is and what it looks like when you're standing there?
1: Uh, CityWalk is a new retail destination uh, located in uh, Dubai, in the UAE, and it's a different format compared to what's been seen in the region before in the sense that it's really uh, created for pedestrians. uh to create a pedestrian experience, which is something that you don't really find uh, in Dubai. And when you're sitting there and when you're well, walking there, um, what you see is this amazing combination of digital media elements that are located in different areas of the space and that play different roles uh, and that really change the way that you perceive the space depending on where you're located. And that's what that was really the intent uh, of this, is to elevate the, the destination experience um, of CityWalk.
0: And could you maybe explain uh, how many different mediums are there and the kind of three different zones that exist?
1: Yeah, certainly. Well, we have three uh, main zones where we executed uh, our work. The first one is called the Gateway. Uh, The second one is called the Show Street. And the third is called Place des Lumières, which is really the the, the center of uh, CityWalk. The Gateway is really meant to uh, attract people from the outside in. Um, It has two massive LED displays, uh, one of which is about 85 meters, the other one is about 75 meters in length. Um, And all of those three areas are covered by a digital canopy that's referred to uh, as the die grid, which incorporates uh, some LED elements in it as well. Um, The second uh, area, which uh, is between Place des Lumières and the gateway, is called the Show Street. And the Show Street is really this this very very long um, um alley basically that has a digital projection integrated into it as well as the digital canopy and it really um, prepares you for what's coming up next which is uh, the place de lumière as i mentioned is you know the the centerpiece the, the crown jewel if you will uh, and that area is really dedicated for entertainment um, so we have this water feature in the center uh, that comes to life uh, in the evening when we have these uh, these shows that we produced. Um, and there is also the digital, ele- uh, digital projection elements um, that are combined with the water feature. Uh, the water feature itself has digital projection in it as well uh, using water curtains that we project on. Uh, we have over 130 um, lighting elements uh, the space uh, in the Place de Lumière and also the digital canopy that really um, creates this overarching digital element that completes the the whole experience. And overall we have about 100 million pixels throughout the space of digital content uh, that really create this unique destination.
0: And is the content divided by zones or is it all one huge playback?
1: So we do have the possibility to convert all of these uh, surfaces into one continuous canvas, which from a technical standpoint is a very big challenge. Uh, I won't go into all the details because, you know, this podcast would last a couple of hours, but uh, so we do have that capability. But from a content strategy standpoint, um, what we wanted to do was to have the first area, which uh, also has the purpose of revenue generation with advertising, so that one uh, is more dedicated to creating uh, an ambient feel. Um, and then we have the, the show street, which also has that purpose. So it's more of an architectural integration on those two and uh, those two first ones. And then the third one is, like I mentioned, for entertainment. So. The way that we create and produce the content is totally different, uh, despite the fact that we use technologies that are very similar throughout these spaces.
0: So there is access for advertisers to the screens?
1: There is access uh, for the advertisers to the screens, indeed. And I think, you know, as content creators, we have to be knowledgeable of the realities that our clients have from the, you know, um, capital expenditures that they need to make in order to make these projects happen. And, you know, as much as we'd like to have, you know, the content be art all the time, and um, this be a canvas that we can exploit uh, a hundred percent of the time, we need to to accept the fact that, you know, if we introduce um, revenue generation in the content strategy, it just makes these kinds of projects all the more likely to happen. And then it's a question of educating our clients in, you know, how these Digital uh, mediums are different than, you know, a digital billboard that you would see on the highway, and so the digital assets for advertising should be, you know, produced differently as well.
0: And what are the options for advertisers?
1: Well, essentially, the the two main ones right now that we're looking at are uh, the um, the two gateway screens, um, you know, which have more traditional uh, types of advertising on them. Um, Dubai in itself is fairly recent if we compare it to the rest of, of um, the you know digital signage market in terms of adoption. Um, so there are some elements that you see evolving. So starting with you know more static uh, assets, now we see more animated assets that are being produced for advertising on those two large digital displays. Um, and then there's also the possibility of creating branded shows in the Plaza de Lumière. Um, so this is something that we're looking to do. Um, as well with the client. So, you know, they have a, a way to increase the inventory of shows that they have. So that's a benefit for them. And at the same time, for advertisers, they create something that's really different from, you know, just a big, another big static advertising that they can, you know, buy in a hundred different places.
0: Do you think advertisers understand the value of this kind of immersive type of messaging rather than the traditional hit them over the head digital signage?
1: Um, I think they're, I don't think they understand it. Like evenly, uh, I would say, you know, I think some of them uh, understand more of the capabilities that it has because the the way that you calculate your ROI, I think, is, is very, very different where, you know, when we create these kinds of shows, um, what we want to do is capture p- people's attention and ultimately get them to share this this moment that they lived. So that's really how you uh, you create your return is by amplifying your footprint uh, through your audience who shares it on social media and uh, those kinds of digital outlets. Now with more traditional, um, you know, digital out of home, you rarely see somebody pulling out their phone going, you know, oh, I'm going to take a picture of, you know, that digital billboard. Um, so the approach is different. And I think, you know, that's one thing that's hard for people to understand is both those approaches are using very similar technologies, but it's the way that we use them that makes the whole difference.
0: When we've come such a long way, consider that brands wouldn't even let you touch their logos previously, and now they're hoping that you'll take images or download it and share it with their friends. That's suddenly the uh, the currency.
1: It, it is. It is. Uh, and at the same time, you know, not all brands are um, uh, as open. So I think some of them are, are definitely more embracing uh, are embracing this trend a lot more. Um, so that's another you know challenge in the whole. Um, process of, you know, getting someone to commit to a project like that. Uh, But we're certainly seeing, um, you know, Brands opening up more and more to those kinds of things. I mean, I think they have to.
0: People get excited about an installation like this when it's being developed and when it's first put into place, but a year down the road, there's a lot of different pieces of content that still need to be put into place. Can you maybe speak about that? Not necessarily on on CityWalk in particular, because I don't want to pick on them, but in terms of these big projects, these complex projects, can you maybe address the fact that you can't just think about the launch day?
1: It's absolutely true. And, you know, we've seen this in other projects uh, than CityWalk. I think this is something where companies like ours need to contribute not only from a creative standpoint, but to help develop new business models that will allow clients to, you know, integrate these experiences in their projects, uh, but on the long term, you know, more than on the the project briefs that they have to, you know, get the ball rolling uh, on the idea of building something like that, but more so on on the fact that these, I believe, these are sustainable uh, and um, revenue-generating projects, uh, but they have to be done in a different way than what people were used to doing before. And, you know, people usually, change is usually hard for people to adopt. So um, I think it's, it's a role of ours to also educate our clients into, you know, how to do it right, not only from, again, content strategy, but, you know, how to plan it uh, from a business model standpoint.
0: This project seems well thought out to me. You know, you talk about the, the the first area to try and attract people in. Can you maybe explain a bit of the development process in terms of you know when were you called in and then what were the conversations like as you uh, tried to work this out?
1: Uh, certainly. Um, one of the first things that we were approached to, to consider was the, the Place de Lumières, and it was really about figuring out what we would do there. Um, and, you know, to some extent, it's as if we only were able to see the, the Place de Lumière from, you know, the project standpoint, because we didn't realize at that point how much, um, how many digital assets um, were involved in this project. And so it started, the discussion started around that area. Um, and then at one point, we, you know, we were having these discussions and we asked them to send us, you know, the complete list of inventory uh, in regards to the digital assets. And I remember the moment where, you know, we looked at it and we're like, whoa, okay. You know, we thought it would be maybe 25% more than what we had seen up until now. It was like 300% more. Um, so all of a sudden, <laughs> you're like, okay, you know, we started asking a lot more questions. Who was involved? Who was in charge of, you know, for example, AV integration? Who was overseeing the technical aspects and all those things? And this is actually something that we see fairly often um, is that there, there's really somebody appointed um to oversee the AV integration side to make sure that everything is um, is properly uh, connected together and makes sense, you know, is homogeneous from a technical standpoint. Uh, what we see a lot is, you know, just different uh, suppliers being involved, but nobody overseeing the whole thing and making sure that there's a harmony going on. Um, so that's one of the first things that we looked at and we we raised that flag. And then, you know, going through the process of understanding what their intent was, um, you know, how they would measure their return on this, what they expected from it. Uh, those are questions that are very, very important for us when we get into a project to understand, you know, what do you, what's the vision, you know, and how are you going to consider if it's a success or, or a failure? Um, and so asking a lot of questions and then going into the the portion of, that involved the design and the, the concept development for the different areas uh, and essentially a funnel approach so that we distill all these ideas down to, you know, the the few that we retain and produce. Um, and so, you know, the capabilities that the system has, uh, we've only scratched the surface with the content that we, we've produced. Uh, for, for this round, um, there's a lot of things that it can do that um, make it you know, open the doors for the future.
0: I'd like to thank our sole sponsor, Mahler Digital Signage, for their patronage. It helps cover the costs and means the podcast can visit DSC to gather some more great interviews. Here's Mahler's Luis Villafane.
1: Hi there. This is Luis from Mahler Digital Signage. You can find us at MahlerDSO.com. We plan, install and manage digital signage networks for marketing projects, advertising and retail. We don't sell PCs, we don't sell screens, we don't sell advertising or do physical installations. At Matter Digital Signage, we offer an all-around consultancy service and project management that will help you find the best hardware and software solutions to deploy from scratch your digital signage network. We adapt to what your company needs, from small to large networks, with a direct support from our engineers within 20 minutes. So at Matter, we manage and design networks. We manage and design digital science networks. That is it. Check out our website at www.mallardso.com.
0: And are you being asked to create content based on here? We have this cool technology. Make something for it, or are you guys pushing content ideas that are pushing the technology?
1: Well, since it's the first um, relationship with uh, the with the client, you know, we always. Present ideas that, you know, push the envelope based on what we consider being their area of comfort. Um, there's definitely ideas that we, we had proposed originally and, you know, the, the consensus was, okay, let's wait a little bit before we, um, we bring it that far because for, for, There's also the notion that you know they've never done something uh, of this magnitude, so you know we want to um, accompany them through this process. So there's definitely things on the interactive side um, that you know we look very much forward to developing in the space, and on the uh, generative content side, which I think is also a very, uh, very promising approach to these types of installations, where you know the content is meant to stay there for a much longer period, and where the costs of production are. considerably higher than a standard 1920 by 1080 screen
0: now we've all gotten used to working over the internet and working with clients that are overseas and that kind of thing but this is a very complex sort of project to be doing from a distance did that play a role at all in in how things came together
1: it played a role in how little sleep we got for sure (laughs) Um, we had well so here's the thing there's First of all, you have the time difference, which, um, you know, for a portion of the year is about eight hours of difference. And then when we have the daylight savings, uh, they don't use daylight savings. So then you have nine hours. That's one thing. Um, And then there's the fact that that you have at least they have the weekends that start on Friday and end on Saturday. Um, So that effectively creates. It's more or less three days that you can effectively overlap with them. Um, So that is a huge challenge. So, I mean, for for most of this project, you know, being up very late or being up very, very early in in order to be able to you know speak with the client was a regular occurrence. And, you know, flying over there was also uh, um, something that became of of a habit. Um, And I think despite all the technology that we have to connect with people, you know, with things like Skype and um, FaceTime and all of that, in the end, there's nothing like a face-to-face
0: meeting. So what's the workflow like uh, trying to piece this together? Because obviously you'd be getting feedback from different places on different things at different times and trying to plug this all in. How did you kind of manage all of that?
1: Well, in terms of how we managed that approach, it first uh, starts with asking a lot of questions and making sure that we understand uh, what the status of the project is so that we know where we are. And that's the goal of, you know, that that discovery phase, uh, to understand what the next logical step is. Um, so that was tremendously important. And I can't stress it enough. I mean, uh, you always have your perception of what the, what the project is. But on a project of this scale, with so many people involved... Um, we spent a lot of time you know making sure that we understood every single last detail, especially since there were a lot of decisions that had already been made. So to some extent, we had to you know look back at the past uh, six to 12 months of work that had been done to make sure that what we were going to put into place uh, took those decisions into account because we were absolutely dependent on them. Um, so that was the first thing. And then establishing from a production standpoint and a technical standpoint, because we were responsible both for some aspects of, overse- well, the aspects of what we're seeing, all the technical integration. And for this, you know, this is something that we oversee, but we brought in a partner, XYZ uh, Cultural Technologies that are based out of Montreal to, you know, to support us in, in that effort. And they did a, you know, a tremendous, tremendous job. And then from the content uh, creation standpoint, once we had the strategy in place, it was really more a question of managing the calendars of production because we had to deal with uh, the construction um, calendar, which, uh, you know, has managing construction is not something that we do, but we are dependent on. So um, making sure that, you know, we were uh, properly synchronized with the way that things were being um, completed on, on construction end and how uh, we could integrate on site. Because long story short, you know, they need to build the facilities, we need to have power to have all the LED screens up. And we're really dependent on those elements being ready for us to be able to go on site and integrate our content. Um, so that's another dimension that is you know, something that you can absolutely not underestimate.
0: So maybe explains what some of these content integrations are maybe in the in the plus explain how the the water works and how it's integrated with the other elements
1: well, from a content standpoint, you know working on large scale displays or features such as these um, there's the notion of scale which is extremely complicated to translate when you're looking at you know even like 70-inch screen that you have in your in your office. Um, so that's why we rely on things like virtual reality to be able to reproduce those environments as best as we can so we can make decisions ahead of being there on site. Uh, for the Place des Lumières, we had the, the purpose of, like I mentioned, the purpose of the Place des Lumières was to create um, these shows. You have these highlights throughout the evening where we really elevate the experience, we transform the whole space. And you take a picture of the space before. Uh, the show and during the show and you know you you could very well argue that you're not in the same place and you know that's the goal so we have the the water feature itself you know i'm describing it verbally here but it's really something that you have to see in person Uh, we're talking about a a feature that is um, about 30 meters wide um, 10 meters Uh, it's an oval so you know it's it has different lengths and widths but it's it's a sizable surface in which we have these four hydraulic arms that are concealed during the day because they're underwater. Um, on top of that, that's more of a technical element, but there's a garage underneath. So we had to figure out how the hell we would, you know, we would dig a hole that's shallow enough, yet deep enough to accommodate those arms, which are pretty, pretty large. <clears throat> Each arm is about 10 meters in length. And then when the show starts, you know, depending on the sonography that we put together, but we really wanted to create an element of surprise with, um, with those hydraulic arms, and so they rise out of the water. Um, and we can, they're all computer controlled and we can control them independently, and they rise out of the water. And so we have, you know, these majestic and, you know, colossal uh, physical elements that just rise out of nowhere. Uh, and then on top of it, you know, when we reach their their maximum height, then we start the water curtains, um, and so you have all these elements of surprise uh, that you know cascade one after the other, really, to um, create this crescendo um, of, of of emotions almost. And then we have the digital projections on all the surrounding walls. Um, the sound system is something that we actually had upgraded really to create that feel that you have when you're at a concert, when you feel you know, the sound pounding your chest. Um, and all those elements together with the lighting and just the size of the space, um, it's... You, You watch the shows over and over and you watch them from different standpoints, you know, and it was very, very fulfilling to have people coming up to us and asking, oh, when's the next show, you know, and seeing people taking their phones out and uh, taking pictures uh, and ultimately just seeing the smiles on people's faces. For us, that is what tells us if we did a good job.
0: What was the difference like in terms of standing there the first time and seeing everything lit up in place versus having seen it in VR?
1: Well, VR only goes uh, so far Um, when you're there and, you know, um, there's absolutely a difference when you see it in person. I mean, VR can can reproduce certain elements, but it can't reproduce the whole experience. And, you know, that's why experiences such as these, uh, as far as VR has come, you still need to be there in person. Um, And especially because it's not an experience that's meant to be experienced by yourself. You know, it's an experience that's meant to be uh, lived with the crowd. And when you see other people's reaction, that really amplifies the whole thing. Um, but the, just the size of it, I mean, I, I saw the fountain in VR and you know, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty big. You see it in real life. And you know, just all the sounds that you don't have in VR, there's so many things that you know, we can't re- yet reproduce in VR. And for the purposes of production, our intent wasn't to reproduce the whole thing um, to every last detail. Um, but it's really not the same thing. Yeah. We use VR to be able to determine things like the scale of the movement, uh, how all of the elements work together, because a lot of the digital assets are produced separately. Um, and so VR allows us to see them all uh, at once in the space, but it's still short of what the actual experience is. And that's the importance of being able to be on site and making the last adjustments You know, with the real thing.
0: How would you have done a project like this prior to having VR to test it out?
1: Probably one of the things that would have been different is we would have had um, more periods where we would have been on site to test the content uh, on the on the displays. We would have, you know, relied on different types of reproductions. Meaning we would have had maquettes um, and smaller versions of uh, of the space where we you know, would try to reproduce everything. Uh, we would have relied on pre-rendered uh, assets that. would would be integrated into the 3D models. Um, those would be another way of doing it. Um, so there are ways, but they're you know they're more they're not as effective as VR. Uh, but they still give you you know a, a sense of how everything works together. Um, and so that's why VR is is useful on that end is that it just allows us to focus on the decisions that we need to make in regards to the experience, as opposed to using let's call it our, our cerebral bandwidth to imagine the space, and then use the rest of of that bandwidth to make that decision. So ultimately, it's a tool for us to make better
0: decisions. How has creating content for CityWalk changed how you view creating digital content?
1: That's a good question. Well, for these kinds of projects, I mean, the permanent uh, installations, um, and let's say in a retail context, I think it's really validated the the relevance of real-time generative content. Um, because of some of the constraints that you have uh, in terms of budget and in terms of uh, the you know the life cycle of these assets. Um, so those are definitely one of the things that we're looking to do more in the future is to integrate more generative uh, elements into our content, more real-time elements into our content, so that in the way that we produce our assets, the work that we do doesn't translate into one second of content. So we don't have content capsules that have a finite duration what we're looking to do is create uh, assets that have a behavior that can last for as long as you want but that behavior uh, describes a way that the content evolves so it's never really the same thing of course you can recognize a certain aesthetic that's you know that's um, that characterizes that specific content asset but it's never really the same thing and that's what we want to create sort of like when you look at a fire you know you know that it's a fire, but it's never really the same. And that's what creates that sense of um, that sort of hypnosis we kind of enter when we look at fire and that that sort of attraction that we create, you know, with the visual sense. Um, so it's really, really one of the things that we see as um, an element that will have a lot more uh, relevance uh, and traction
0: in the future. So having said that, having said everything you've just said about CityWalk and your learnings from it, where do you think overall digital communication, visual digital communication is heading?
1: (laughs) That's a big question. Um, Well, I think we're going to see a lot more digital assets being integrated into our spaces, but not through more, you know, screens that are of like a 69 aspect ratio. I think we're going to see digital content uh, being integrated a lot more tactfully, I would say, so that it's not um, overbearing and it's present when it needs to be and when it's not it just disappears, it's not a blank screen. Um, I've seen some beautiful projects where you know the content is that the, the digital assets, uh, and by that I mean the screens, are actually hidden behind uh, small uh, thin layers of veneer. So when the this is off, all you see is, you know, wood veneer, um, which I think is is amazing. I love that kind of stuff. Um, so I think we're gonna go towards that. And definitely, I mean, we cannot ignore the, the presence uh, the, the continuous adoption of uh, mobile devices um, I think we're going to see things gravitate a lot more uh, towards that so to some extent you know screens are in uh, a digital media is going to be more present uh, in our daily lives but not necessarily through the same channels that we've been used to seeing them I think on one end it's going to be much more uh, tastefully integrated into architecture it's going to be much more complementary to architecture and on the other it's going to be through mobile devices uh, that we're going to see you know this um, the presence of digital media uh, and what it communicates uh, in our daily lives.
0: That's great. Thanks for your time. Uh, the project's fantastic.
1: Thank you very much for uh, you know for hosting us and have a great day.
0: That's all for this episode of Sixty Nine Projects. If you've seen a project in the wild and said to yourself, "Now that's cool," I'd love to hear about it and maybe feature it on an upcoming episode. You can reach me at michael at crowncontent.ca. This podcast is a companion to the 16 podcast, which talks to smart people doing interesting things in this business. It's also tied in with 169, which is the website to read if you really want to learn about the digital signage industry. You'll find that at 16-9.net. This podcast is produced by me in Toronto and is a product of Vertical Media Consulting Group. The massive media empire my buddy Dave Haynes runs out of his house down the highway in Burlington, Ontario. This podcast is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Check them at D S O. Dot com thanks for listening I'm Michael Tutton